Well, this this month we've been going through what's called Turning Points. It's been the title of our preaching series. And the different leaders in the church have been talking about different scripture, different times in their life that have been times where God has just shaped them and, and molded them. For me, I'm, I'm a real detail-minded person. If you work with me or know me, I like to plan things to the minute when I do my uh, agendas for the youth. I get made fun of a lot for that. That's just the way God has designed me, I guess. But with that, there's a couple turning points that I wanted to mention to you by date, by year, and by time. It's not important, but that's how I work. First of all, um, July 31st, 1986, I was a student here at this church checking out God, and I got a chance to go to camp. And at camp at 9.01 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, in case you're wondering, I had the opportunity to uh, surrender my life to Jesus, and that was the hugest turning point ever in my life. And tonight, or this morning, speaking last night, this morning I'm not going to be speaking about that. Another turning point was December 19, 1998. It was minus 30 or 40 degrees below zero, and at approximately 2.25 or so Central Standard Time, I married the love of my life, Lori Zink. She's now Lori Tiemens, which I think sounds a lot better than Zink. But, but that was an awesome, awesome day. Also, uh, Christmas Day, 2002, at exactly 9.21 a.m., Lori and I were blessed with our firstborn son, Jaden Anthony Dale, a Christmas Day gift from God to us, and that was an incredible time. And I'm not going to talk about that either today. Another turning point for me was April 3rd, 2005, at exactly 11.40 a.m. God bless Lori and I and Jaden with our firstborn daughter, Amari Isabel. She came out with these big, giant cheeks and been easy to love every day since. That was a huge blessing turning point for our family, but I'm not going to talk about that also today. The turning point that I wanted to talk about is what happened on February 22nd, 2007, at exactly 10.18 a.m. It was really an awesome moment for our family again. And at this moment, our heavenly flower was given to, to Lori and us, our family. Her name is Leilani. My daughter was born at that point. And it's been a huge turning point for our family. She was born, as many of you guys know, here with Down syndrome. It's also called trisomy 21 by the medical professionals. But we knew early on in, in our pregnancy that there was a good chance that she may have Down syndrome. They said about 50-50 chance for about five months. And we had all these ultrasound tests on uh, Leilani that we knew that could be a possibility she'd be born with Down syndrome. So right away, I went to the library. I got books. I got medical journals on Down syndrome. I got videos, DVDs, and just immersing myself in information about how to prepare for having a child with Down syndrome. I also uh, talked to some friends who were in ministry in Canada, and they are a youth pastor and wife, and they have a, a beautiful daughter with Down syndrome. And he said, before I told him what I was doing, he said, put those books away. Just enjoy your pregnancy. And it was just a, a really um, trying time for Lori and I. We had to really wrestle a lot with what that would look like for our family, having a child with special needs. And at that moment when she was born, um, they told us that she most likely has Down syndrome. And our life has been different ever since. Right away, they ushered her away to the NIC unit. And for the next 14 days, she was in there while we were trying to get her to breathe on her own and get her to learn how to, how to drink on her own. And it was a huge focus for, for us as a family just to get her healthy and, and have her at home with us. 
that was a huge turning point for, for our family. And through that, God just ministered to me through different people, through different, again, uh, resources, and, and most importantly, through his spirit, just comforting us and encouraging us and helping us. There's a passage in Psalm 139, which I'm going to be speaking of this morning, that gave me a lot of encouragement and continues to give me encouragement. And I feel it's an important word for our church this, this day. The main point of this sermon, if you have your notes, it says, made by God. And that's my, my main point, is that we are made by God, and because of that, we are of great value to God. And, and also, we should take great value in those around us who are also made by God. And you see, I was working with youth. I've had a chance to work with youth here since 1987 when I first became a volunteer. And I've seen a lot of students over the years just really struggle with their identity, who they are. And I've seen students who are getting these messages from society, from media, that they need to look and act a certain way in order to be accepted and to feel good about themselves. They get it from magazines, from the Internet, from the music they listen to, and especially from their peers who are telling them to act and look a certain way. The problem is that a lot of students are really striving for that and they're falling short and having difficulty because of it. It's not based on biblical principles, this message from society, but it's based on humanistic thinking and how to take care of me, myself, and I. I've seen a lot of students, especially recently, to struggle with depression, struggle with the struggles of insecurity, low self-image, and just a lot of despair because they're not able to keep up with what the world is telling them they need to look and be like. And for me, when I was in junior high, I was raised in a broken home. My father raised my sister and I by himself, and we had a lot of struggles, especially in junior high years. He got remarried for the third time when I was in junior high. And during the time, I was looking for acceptance and and trying to feel good about myself, and I started to get tempted with different things. My peers were really pushing on me. I experimented with drugs and alcohol in junior high and messing around with the um, opposite sex. I was getting in trouble with the law. I was shoplifting. I was vandalizing. Just doing a lot of things to fit in and be accepted by, by those around me. And it got really bad because I wanted to become a break dancer. That's how low I turned in junior high. Back then, there was uh, break dancers and there was uh, rockers. I call them breakers and rockers. And I was aligning myself with the breakers. I started wearing these baggy pants that were pleated all the way around, front to back. I wore these uh, TI sweatsuits that were silk, just spin faster on the cardboard, or linoleum. I started beatboxing, making music with my mouth and rapping and, and doing all this stuff to try to fit in and be accepted by those around me. And the, probably the lowest I got in junior high is the day I got my perm. I had pretty straight hair, and um, it looked like my cool friends who had the pump back wavy hair. Some of them had perms, too. Um, I got this, this fat perm. And I got a picture because one of our church photographers, Priscilla Limios, took this. So that's me, the uh, taller gentleman on the left. And Jimmy Limios, if you guys have been around the church, is the guy on the right with my polyester suit. So that was me in junior high. I feel like it's an important word, again, because I know definitely I struggled with identity, self-image, trying to fit in. I know college students within our church are struggling with a sense of identity, figuring out the vocational skills they need to develop, what college they need to go to, who they're going to potentially marry one day, and also just the whole dichotomy of breaking away from your parents' oversight and authority they've had for the last 18-plus years. I feel for adults, too, that we struggle with a sense of identity and keeping up with the, the Joneses, as they say. 
trying to live in a certain neighborhood, drive a certain car, have certain things to make ourselves look and feel good, be accepted. I know it doesn't stop there, but we have children that we're trying to raise and be successful, and that's a lot of our identity is in our children or our grandchildren or having a secure retirement. There's a lot that we base our lives on and try to make ourselves be to be a successful person in the world's eyes. And all this, the question I have is, where is all-knowing God who is ever-present, perfectly creative, purposefully sovereign in our lives? And that's what I want to look at in this passage that follows. I feel often we base our identity on the things that we can make ourselves to be, things that we can do, the way we act, the way we look. But a few times I think we base our identity on the fact that we are made by God and precious to Him. In Psalm 139, again, my main point we're going to focus on is that we are made by God. Because of that, we are of great value, and we should value those around us. I'm going to look at, uh, in this chapter, three three different sections to break it down to. But I want to read it to you first. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18 is what we're going to be looking at today. It says this in verse 1. For the director of music of David, the psalm, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. And I was thinking, too, that before a word is on my hands, it always creeps down on me. God knows, knows your words. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. And I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Now we're going to look at these 18 verses, and I broke it down into three sections. Verses 1 through 6, we'll look at God's omniscience, and I'll explain that in a little bit. Verses 7 through 12, we'll look at God's omnipresence. In verses 13 through 18, we'll look at the fact that God has created us and has his sovereign plan and will for our lives. It starts off in verse 1. I'm going to go kind of verse by verse here, what this uh, part of this chapter has to say. It starts off, for the director of music of David, the psalm. And this is a psalm that God gave David that he prayed out to him. I learned in chapters 138 through 145, these are known as the Davidic psalms. There are eight chapters where David writes out these praises and prayers to God. In the middle, there's six chapters where there are prayers that David gives to God, and then sandwiched outside of that, in chapters 138 to 145, are psalms of praise. 
So we're going to look at this first prayer in the Davidic Psalms in chapter uh, 139. So God's omniscience, his intimate and thorough knowledge of us. David prays to God and says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. He starts off this referencing God in a personal way. He says, God, you have searched me and you know me. And that's something I think is really important for us believers who have committed our lives to Christ, like I did on July 31st, 1986, 9-1-10. When we give our life and surrender it to Christ, and I should say, too, that it's not important to know the time and date of you giving your life to Christ. My wife became a believer when she was two years old. She doesn't know the exact time. Why is it for us? But anyways, uh, just so for those of you who know Christ, we have a personal relationship with, with the God of the universe. And David here says that God, you search me and you know me. In verse 2, he goes on to say, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. We serve a personal God, not a God that we visit in a temple or a God that's sitting on the shelf or a God that we come to church on Sundays to see and hang out with. We see here that God is personal in our life. He knows when we're sitting, like all of us right now are sitting in these nice comfy chairs. He knows that. He knows when you're going to rise up. There's a lot of description he gives about his knowledge of us in these verses. He says also, you perceive my thoughts from afar. And God knows your thoughts right now. Some of you may be struggling with things like depression or even suicide. Or you may just be real excited what God is leading in your life like he is the Ackerman family. You may be struggling with how am I going to pay the bills? A lot of different thoughts that we wrestle with. God knows our thoughts. He knows us in an intimate and thorough way. He also says in verse 3, You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. So whether we're sitting or we're rising, whether we're laying down or going out, God knows intimately and thoroughly what our ways are all about. And then he says this verse in, in verse 4, which is kind of a, scary verse for me. It's talking about our words. It says, he knows, let's read it, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. And I say it's kind of scary because I know for me, I've been blessed, like I said, with a wonderful wife, and I know often my words to her aren't what they need to be. I could be short with her. I could be uh, discouraging at times. And I regret that, and I know that God is working on me in that, but I know at the same time, God knows my, my heart and my thoughts and my words before I even say it. He also knows when we build people up, when we're verbally praising God and sharing about God to others. He's, he's aware of our voice, our thoughts, our actions. He says in verse 5 that you hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. And I kind of picture like this building has these walls surrounding all of us right now. It has these beams that are here structurally to help protect us. And I visualize God also has surrounded each one of us here and has he knows us intimately before, behind, all around us. And I, I picture also a, a child with their parents crossing a busy street. And I live near the Tutsun um, Library, and oftentimes I'll take kids from the neighborhood and my kids to the library. And it's a pretty fast street on Pintail as the cars go by, and they have the button you have to press to get the lights working. But I know when I'm there with, with kids that I'm responsible for, I'm watching the traffic, I'm watching behind them, in front of them, and I'm guiding them by the hand across street. And that's how I picture God and his knowledge of us. He is circled around us, cares for us, and knows our ways, and he's going to guide us by his hand, like David mentions here. Verse 6, David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. 
David, basically, I don't understand it. I can't understand how the God of the universe, so intimately knowledgeable about all my ways, overwhelming for him, would be too lofty for him to attain. Next, we're going to look at God's omnipresence and seeing God's knowledge, how he's intimately and thoroughly involved in us. And I want to look at the next uh, several verses, 7 through 12, and look at God's omnipresence, his thorough and intimate presence in our lives. Verse 7 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? This is a rhetorical question, and I had a Bible study on Tuesday with some high school guys, and we were going through this passage together, and I asked them, what's a rhetorical question? One of the guys blurted out, it's a duh question. So the duh answer here is nowhere. Nowhere can we go from his spirit. Nowhere can we flee from his presence, because point blank, God is everywhere. He gives us some vertical extremes and then some horizontal extremes, David, in his prayer. He says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. So vertically, from the loftiest regions of heaven to the lowest imaginable depths, God is present. Verse 9 says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea. Later on, he says, your hand will guide me, hold me fast. So horizontally, God is at the extremes where the light first crests our sight, where the seas go on the opposite direction, east and west, north and south, God is present. And then he says in verse 10, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. We cannot go anywhere where God is not leading us. We can't outrun him. His hand is there to hold us by his power, by his mercy, and by his wisdom. I, I like going to Yosemite National Park, and I have a kind of a family history there. My, my dad, um, his father, a scientist, and he ended up working in Yosemite when he was a younger man. My grandmother worked for Ansel Adams there at Yosemite, and together they met there, got married at Yosemite, and on their little wedding card they had a picture of a bug. As my my uh, grandfather was a scientist, entomologist. There's actually a bug called the Timonai. Side note there. But anyways, <coughs> look it up, National Geographic. Anyways, I... Uh, so Yosemite has been huge for my family. My grandparents met, were married there, worked there, lived there. Then my parents, my mom and dad, when they got married, they went to Yosemite for their honeymoon. And then when Lori and I were, were dating, I was courting her and just really seriously seeking the Lord if, if we were meant to be uh, married together. And, and we went to Yosemite, the two of us. We left, it was in the spring of 1998. I don't know the exact date, but no, we left about 4 in the morning. It was a day trip to Yosemite and back. We got to to Yosemite and went on some hikes and just had a really awesome time together and just really felt a confirmation from God that, that he was leading us to commit our lives to marriage together at Yosemite. And so being the romantic guy that I am, I soon after that got a ring and I took Lori back with my good friend Eric here and also one of Lori's best friends from Canada who was visiting. We went to, we went to a place called Vernal Falls. It was the week before Lori and I had gone to this waterfall, and it was beautiful. We got soaking wet, hiking up to the top, and the top was right off, and we had this awesome time together. So I planned to go there again in the spring, and when I went there, it was really cold and overcast. When we got to the top, Irv and I, Irv was the only one that knew I had the ring for myself. He was the coolest, so I'd say. Um, but we got to the top, and then I found this cool spot on this rock, and I proposed to her, and um, Irv was trying to keep Lori's girlfriend away so she didn't see what was going on. I finally came back and Lori flashed this huge rock. Not that huge. I remember 
Irv just starts screaming. He's like, ah! <laughs> and his people that are hanging out, stretching his house. And it was just really an awesome moment for us to, to share that. And so ever since then, we have gone to Yosemite as a family. Every spring, we try to go there and kind of retrace the steps up this up this hike. And if you've ever been to the top of Bernal Falls, it's, it's a pretty uh, short hike overall, but it's pretty intense, that place where you have to climb these steps. And Lori likes to count each step as she walks up and down. And there's over 600 steps that she's counted to get to the top. In the springtime when we've, we've gone, a lot of times there's a lot of snow runoff that's melting and the Merced River is flying down. And it's really pretty, but when you hike up certain parts, there's water just going down each step as you're hiking up the steps. And as my son Jaden was a newborn, we had him, he was a baby Bjorn, so I, I walked real carefully up to the top. When he got too big, we put him on our back. Then finally we had to start having to hike himself up. There's parts on the hike where if you were to take a step off these steps, you would just go tumbling into the river and it would be really bad. And actually at the top, when you get to the top, there's this railing. It's like a railing here and there's another railing here. And if you put a tube past it, it just rushing rapids. It goes over the top of the falls, 240 feet down. And part of our tradition when we go to the top of this waterfall and take a picture of our family at this fall. But whenever I would hike in these dangerous parts or we stand by this really dangerous cliff, I would hold my kid's hand and squeeze him tight because I did not want them to, to go where they need to go. And to me, it's kind of a picture of, of what God is like for us. A lot of us are going through different times of life where we're just cruising along the rapids and things are, are going good. We're enjoying the scenery. And other times we're struggling to get up the mountain. And other times we're standing at the top just exhausted. And God holds our hand and holds us tight. He's intimately and thoroughly present and knowledgeable of our lives. He goes on in verse 11. He says, if I, if I say, in quotes, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. And I know for me, in darkness, as I've grown up and now an old guy, I struggle sometimes in the darkness. I feel that there's no, no one watching me or no one around. And when I was a kid, I used to, like I said, vandalize. I used to go to the school and do bad things to the building and other things um, in the dark. Because I feel like no one's going to see me. I can get away with this. And I know there's people who feel that somehow God is not present in the dark. You can get away with stuff because no one else sees you. I know there's people who struggle with things at night, the office like being where you shouldn't be. The Bible college I went to where Chris was going, the old president, is not there anymore each day. Nothing good happens after midnight to address my college students. And so uh, a lot of times at night, bad things happen, and, and we think that God is not there. But here in verse 12, it says, Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is as light to you. So whether we are sitting rising, whether we're laying down or going out, God knows our thoughts, He knows our words, whether it's dark or light, He sees all and knows us, He is present in all, all times. Verse 13, we're going to look at now how God has created us, how He has a plan for our life. Verse 13 says, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And David is describing this intimacy between God and him in the womb, where God was knitting him together and fashioning him. Unborn in darkness, God was, was knitting him together in a wonderful way. We see the, the next passage, verse 14, says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And I think often 
we praise God for things that we see, things that he is doing in our lives. And that's a really good thing to do, to praise God for what we see and what he's doing. I like here how David in his prayer praises God for what's being done in his, in his dark and unknown and secret place in the room. He praises God for the hidden things. And I, I know a lot of us struggle with why has God allowed me to be the way I am? Why has God allowed these situations to happen to my life? And we struggle on, on a lot of things that we see that have happened to us, but very few times do we get rooted and, and really have a foundation of Christ through who God has made us in a fearful, wonderful way. I know for, for Lori and I, our daughter Leilani has uh, what's called low muscle tone. As a person with Down syndrome, they're born with, they call it a floppy baby when they're born. They're, they're really um, hard to move around and develop on their own. So they need a lot of extra help. For those 14 days that she was in the NIC unit, we had to really work with her and teach her how to, how to drink and how to, how to breathe and all these things. And when she got home, we started um, soon after that with therapy. Past year, she's been a part of speech therapy. She goes to Davis twice a week to learn how to eat and drink and speak. She goes also to occupational therapy in our home. She does physical therapy. Uh, she goes to a place here in Fairfield. She's part of a group in Vacaville every week where she goes to meet with other kids with Down syndrome and other families. And she also we also have a caseworker that comes to our home once a week to help us help Leilani develop physically and mentally. And it's been just a real awesome thing for, for Laura and I to see how God has made our bodies specifically work. For Leilani to sit up, we have to teach her how to put her hand down, to lean, lean back and move up, to eat with both of the muscles in her mouth. Where most of us who are physically developing, that comes naturally for us. And it's been awesome for me to see how God has, has made the human body in a fearful and wonderful way. C.H. Spurgeon gives this quote about the anatomy, how, how awesome it is. It says, who can gaze even upon a model of our anatomy without wonder and awe? Who could dissect a portion of the human frame without marveling at its delicacy and trembling at its frailty? And David knew this very well, that God has fearfully and wonderfully made him, and he says that his works are wonderful, all of his works. And I think for us, we should recognize and Revel and be excited that God has fearfully, wonderfully made us and those sitting next to you, those in this building, and those that we are going to see and touch in our lives. Verse 15 says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. And many great artists, when they're working on their masterpieces, they'll take a canvas, they'll take stone or clay, and they'll, they'll form this creation that they, they want to display to other people. They'll do that privately, and when they're ready to display it to others, they'll have a show or present it to their friends and pull back the curtain, lift the veil, and there's their finished product. And that's what I see in God. When he works on us in the womb, he does it privately, secretly, in a private place, unborn in darkness. And at birth, we see this perfect creation of God. I know for me, I've been blessed to see my three children born and see them take their first breath. And this is an incredible opportunity just to see life start and God's creation start. I know for Leilani, when she was born that February day, when I first saw her face to face, I just blurted out, she's beautiful, she's perfect. And it was just an awesome blessing for me to have that heavenly flower. That's, that's what her name in Hawaiian means, heavenly flower, heavenly gift. 
But the sad thing to me is that far too many professionals will look at, medical professionals will look at a, a child in the womb that's not typically developing, or they'll look at, friends will look at the situation and think that this life is not worth living. For me, I had an opportunity two weeks ago to a National Down Syndrome Congress conference in Sacramento. They have one every year at different parts of the road. Last year was in Boston. This year was in Sacramento. Next year is in Florida. But it was our first opportunity to go to such a conference. And while we're at this conference, we just really blessed and encouraged by the information that we got. There was several hundred adults and children with Down syndrome there and their parents. There is a, they call self-advocates, adults with Down syndrome who are speaking to us. There's one guy who has his degree from the university, his BA. He's a certified trainer at this club. He works at a law firm. And it was just really inspiring for us to see these adults who've achieved much in their life. There's another couple that came and shared about their marriage that's coming up and how they're going to live together in Texas. And it was just a real encouraging time for us as having a young child to see these adults, these families who are um, real successful in, in the way they raise their kids and the impact they're making. There's another lady who shared with us how she had swam the English Channel on a relay team, a lady with Down syndrome, and then she swam for Alcatraz, and she swam for Alcatraz and back. Fourteen times she's done that, that swim. And then most recently, she swam across Lake Tahoe from the Nevada side to California side. And it was just really uplifting for us to see these people with the special needs and disabilities being able to achieve a lot. We also learned good information from therapists who were working with people with Down syndrome. But probably the, the coolest thing for my family was we brought Leilani, who is two and a half years old. And she's about maybe this tall. And when she was there at the conference, she's, been, she's learned how to walk for about four or five months now. And she has this newfound independence. Leilani just loves to venture out. And I know last Sunday I was here and I lost her. She like went down and took me to the nursery. But she's just, she's just a real spunky, independent-spirited girl. And at this conference, there was... Like I said, hundreds of people with Down syndrome there, but a lot of people were really drawn to her. She's probably the shortest person there who was walking so well. So we started meeting a lot of really um, awesome people who just wanted to, to get to know Leilani and kind of hear her story. And one such engagement, I met this lady in the hallway. She was just walking by and saw Leilani cruising by and stopped and started talking to her and talked to us. And later that night, um, I saw her again at the banquet. They had this dance that happens each night of the, the banquet where there's, again, a couple hundred people with Down syndrome just dancing and having a good time, and adults there who don't have Down syndrome are dancing and having a lot of fun. There's three different dance floors at this banquet. There was uh, Michael Jackson blaring in the background when I walked in, and the DJ, his name was uh, Rockin' Pete. And he, was this, he was this guy with Down syndrome, and he, he was just mixing it at the computer there and doing some cool stuff. And His nickname was the Demon of Rock and Roll. I'm not really sure why they call him that, but it's his name, I guess. But it was just—it was a really, really fun environment. Um, another lady said she loves going to this dance. There's so much joy in that room. People just letting loose, having a good time, without any inhibition. And as we were there, I, I caught eyes with that lady who I met in the hallway. And she, um, when I met her earlier, I told her that I was a pastor. And she inst- instantly said, "That's awesome. You have that spiritual support." And I didn't think a whole lot about it, but then later on, we met up again that night kind of God ordained us to, to meet in that dance room. And with the noise in the background and, and Lori and I trying to hear her every word, she just really opened up and shared her, her story with us. And afterwards, I asked her if I could share the story with you guys here at the church. And she said, you know, absolutely. Her hope is that somebody will be encouraged by her story and be 
helped out. She shared some of the heartbreaking things with us, with Lori and I. Um, she shared that when she was pregnant, her daughter with Down syndrome, and they found out in the family, uh, largely in part, they were really encouraging her to terminate the pregnancy. So she really wrestled with it. She really wanted this child, but she was getting so much pressure to, to end the pregnancy. And it gets to a point when the child's in the womb where you need to decide whether you're going to have an abortion or not. I know for Lori and I, when we were pregnant with Leilani, that was an option given to us. You need to decide by this date if you're going to end this life. And that was never an option for us. And thankfully, it wasn't an option for this lady either. But she was right at that point of, of the age of a daughter in the womb where she was just getting a lot of pressure from people around her. And so she went to the ocean on the beach. She just cried out to God. And she just shared to God, God, am I making the right decision? And if I am, give me a sign. You know, do something to show me that I'm doing the right thing. And as she was praying that, this lady walked up to her on the beach. The lady she had known from before that saw her crying and weeping on the beach and asked her what was going on. And she shared with her, her friend who happened to be there that she was pregnant with a daughter with Down syndrome and um, though she'd been a lot of encouragement to end this pregnancy, she was going to keep it and just wanted to know she was doing the right thing. Instantly, this lady on the beach just started weeping, just uncontrollably weeping out. Uh, she shared with her that she also, three months ago, had a daughter with Down syndrome in the womb and she terminated her pregnancy three months ago. She shared with her that every day for the last three months, she's had guilt for that decision. And she told her, you're doing the right thing. And later on, this this lady had her, her baby girl, and this other lady at the beach came and just held her baby. She said, and weep, weep, weep. She held this, this young girl. It didn't get easier for this newborn mom. She shared with, shared with us that when she would take her daughter, who was newborn, to church, started being shunned by, by those around her who would bring her to the church. And she said it got really bad where people would turn around when their daughter would make noises and give her really evil looks. And so she ended up talking to the pastor of the church and telling her about this situation that was happening with his people in the church. And what he said to, to her was that maybe you should stop bringing your child to church. And it was just really hard for, for Lori and I to hear that. I mean, for us, we're, we're really well, well supported here at this church. You know, a lot of people have been praying for us through the pregnancy, through the time since she's been born. People have come to the house, have able to do a lot. It's been such a huge blessing having Leilani in her life. And this lady asked me, she said, Tony, please pray for me that I can find a church and that I can get that support that I need. And so we've corresponded through these emails. And I encourage you to pray for that, that lady and her family. For me, I just can't imagine not having Leilani in my life, not having her a part of this church. And it's been exciting for me just to, to see how God has used her to bring a lot of joy to my life, to our family, to a lot of people. One thing um, that is good news for us is that God doesn't stop working on us. He's created us in the womb, but daily through His Word, through His Spirit, through His people, He's continued shaping us and molding us outside the womb. And when Christ comes to take us home, that'll be when it all stops and we'll be able to worship Him face to face. Verse 16, He says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And God has ordained all of our bodies 
order of life in a perfectly planned and ordained way. Our limbs, our form, our mental faculties, our physical abilities, all of them predestined by God before we are born, and nothing is a surprise to God. He has ordained them to be that way before they even came to be. He has control of all things. We've seen that God knows us intimately and thoroughly. We see that he's present in our lives. We see that he has thoroughly, intimately made us. And in verse 17, David prays to God, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast are the sum! And it's interesting that David is not alarmed or uneasy that God knows all the stuff about him. He knows all the junk that David has done. He's known all the, the bad stuff. But he's not alarmed. He says, It's precious to me. Your thoughts, God. I think for us, too, if we could think about how God has thought about us before the creation of this world, how he's formed us together and knit us together and thought about us in the womb, and how he's thought about us each day up until now, and thinking about us right now, and thinking about us until the day of redemption when Christ comes back for us, I think we would be overwhelmed, too, when we say, how vast is the sum of your thoughts for me? Verse 18, we'll finish off. It says, "Where were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. And I had a chance to go to the beach, to Simpson Beach, with some high school students this summer. And when I go to the beach, I think about verses like this. And I don't know if you've ever tried to grab a handful of sand and count each little grain in the sand. But if you were to be able to do that and multiply that by all the handfuls of sand on that beach, you think about all the beaches in California, then all the beaches in North America, and all the continents. And you think about the sand that's underneath the water that hits those beach sand that's in the lakes and streams. That's a lot of sand grains. And each of those are represented by God's thoughts for you and me. We are made in a fearful, wonderful way. We are of great value. We should value those around us. I've been here at Parkway Community Church since 1986 when I got saved. And since that point, I've never seen a time like God has right now in our church. I feel we're at a turning point a lot of ways here at Parkway. I've seen a lot of cultures come together in the last year or two. I've seen, um, amazingly, God bring people from our Down Syndrome group here to church and check things out. I'm excited about that, to be able to partner and fellowship with other families with special needs children. I've seen God bless us with those from the deaf community who bless us here, being able to minister with them side by side. And they've taught me a lot in sign language. I know about maybe 15 or 20 words. My daughter knows over 60 Golani. And it's been awesome for me to be able to worship with them and just see God use them as they are needed in this church. I've seen the Spanish-speaking people of our community start coming to our church. Just uh, last Friday, I was asked to do a quinceanera. It's a new word for me, so it's kind of scary. I don't know if I go to our thing. But uh, it was a really awesome opportunity for Paulina Polk and I. We, we had a service here in the church for a young lady who I first met when she was probably about seven, six years old. And we took her to a Giants baseball game. She was attending our tutoring center. And then over the years, she's, she's been in and out of the church and gotten connected with her cousin who goes here, who goes to the tutoring center as well. I've seen her in a junior high group and a high school group, and then she asked me several months ago to help lead the quinceanera. But it was, it was a really awesome time for Pauline and I. We were able to pray scripture over this young lady and to pray for her and her family who are trying to lead her in a godly way. A lot of people who came into this church were the, were the first time entering a non-Catholic church, and they were just they were blown away by, by 
that's God makes service for his daughter. And we got to invite several of them to an upcoming service that you may not be aware of, but in a couple of months we hope to start a Spanish-speaking service here in the church. Pauline won't be getting help leading that. And so it was just a real encouraging sight for me to see about 60 Spanish-speaking people here in this church worshiping God together and praising him. And I was the minority leading all my prayers and those are being translated. And it was just a really awesome picture for me to see in this church people from different languages and cultures coming together. I also was seeing a lot of young people from the neighborhoods and apartments from a blast and tutoring center, a, a Monday night activity with blast and stomp at Valerie's. We've had kids from our neighborhoods and other neighborhoods come to church here and get exposed to God. Also through vacation Bible school, these camps, we've seen God do amazing work and God's bringing lots of different people from different backgrounds to church at this time. I'm also excited about Sam's Club. I don't know if you guys have seen that in the bulletin. It's not the uh, place you get free samples on the back of there, but they're starting a seniors adult ministry here at this church next month. And all my years I've been there, I've never seen a group like this. So I'm excited because I, I used to play pinochle with uh, some elderly people in our church, and they worked me over. But I love playing games, and they're going to be here every Tuesday. It says you have to be 55 to 100, so if you're over 100, you can't come. Just the other age group. But I'll probably let you in if you're over 100 here. But I'm, I'm excited. God is bringing this group to fruition. He's bringing people from our community together, old and young, people from the military whose families are getting deployed and who are being here for a short time or coming to our church, and we're able to just together worship God. And that's what, why God has created us, to, to worship Him, to glorify Him. I wanted to end off with a little slideshow. Last Sunday I was here with Chris Milani taking some pictures of some of you. I just want, as we see this, these slides, to just praise God for how he has fearfully and wonderfully made each one that we see up here, but also as he has fearfully and wonderfully made you and those around you. And my, my hope is that Parkway would not be known as a, a church that has good teaching only, but a church that loves all people of all types, because God has created us all, again, in a fearful, wonderful way. So I'm going to pray for us. Let's see the slideshow and finish off in worship. Let's bow your heads and pray with me, please.